Welcome to the LIBF Financial Education Team Podcast. In each episode, we will discuss the key topics that impact on financial education, and whenever possible, include guests so we can get their thoughts and ideas too. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the Financial Education Team Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure, 100%. We spoke briefly before we hit the record button, and I know you're not located too far away from me, but we resist the temptation of doing it in person. We're doing this virtually, uh, which probably, given the climate, is probably the right thing to be doing. If you don't mind, Katie, to start us off, just a bit of background about yourself, you know, what it is you've been doing, your journey, and what it is you currently do. Yeah, of course. So I'm Katie. I'm sort of by trade um, a financial journalist, and I've been doing that sort of three and a half years and I very much sort of fell into finance and um, when I did my journalism postgrad after uni I sort of said anything but finance um <laughs> and now here I am it's always really... tempting fate right Look. <laughs> I know and I, I guess a lot of that came into topics we'll probably discuss like sort of later on in the podcast about you know how I didn't really feel finance was for me or something I could do but actually I sort of started to realize that it was and so from there I started a blog called 20% to aim to sort of help other young people take control of their finances and realize that it's not scary and it is possible to make small changes and do positive things and then I started doing some personal finance freelancing writing on the side as well because I just love spreading spreading financial knowledge I guess. (laughs) Perfect for this episode of the podcast. Well, look, a couple of things in. First of all, journalism, was that always something you wanted to do? Maybe not the financial side to it, but just the, the, the subject of journalism. Was that a passion for yours when you were younger? It sort of had always been there in the back burner. Um, to be honest, I, again, fell into it slightly in that I was actually going to be a teacher for ages. Um, I'd applied for all the training schemes and everything. And then I was very ill in my final year of university and had to extend my degree by sort of half a year by which point you'd missed all the training scheme start points. I was like, well, I've got to do something for a while. And did the journalism course. I was like, oh, yeah, I actually quite like this. And went from there. <laughs> it's funny how fake things have been sometimes, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have heard of our Young French Journalist Competition. Have you heard of that? I haven't come across that, actually, no. Well, look, I think this is another avenue to talk about maybe off the podcast. But we, we do a competition every year with students where we encourage them to uh, pick a topic that we, we give them maybe two or three options and they have to write an article around it relating to obviously financial finance and their personal finance situation so um i will send you some information around it because we're always looking out for good judges and people to be involved so uh, maybe yeah. you'll be interested in that moving forward yeah no definitely yeah do you send some info on that and the blog then if you don't want me asking it's called 20 percent or the 20 percent where does the name come from so the name sort of works on two levels it started during COVID and it was sort of an idea because so many young people were on furlough myself included for a little while and so the idea was to top up the extra 20% of your income that you were missing by taking control of your finances but it sort of endures as well and it's sort of a nod to the gender pay gap in many ways that women it's an American figure but women earn what 79 cents to the dollar and it's similar figures around the world really um, so yeah, kind of works on two levels. Like it, fantastic. Okay, if you don't mind, then Katie, a bit more about the blog. Um, kind of what was your inspiration to get it going? Um, what have you written about, and maybe what have you discovered from doing it? Yeah, so I think as I mentioned, I'm a financial journalist, and so for my day job, I spend a lot of time writing about very wealthy people and how they manage their money. 
which is very interesting in many ways. But what I started to realize is a lot of the tips and tricks that they use can be adapted very quickly and we can all benefit from them. But because we don't have the sums of money where you're going to be paying an advisor or a lawyer or an accountant or anything, we miss out on them. And so I wanted to slowly start sort of spreading some of these ideas. And then I said, like, wait, I'm writing about things like investing and ISAs all the time, but I don't actually have any. So then I started sharing my own journey about how I started investing or opening an ISA. And I think that personal element really helped because it kind of shows we're all on a journey together. We're not perfect. We're all learning. And it's just about trying and not burying your head under the sand. And I guess by doing this, have you learned stuff yourself as you got in the process of writing about things? I mean, there's no better way to teach yourself something than actually write about it. So has that been the case for you? Yeah, no, definitely. I've learned so much. And also there's a really great um, community from called the UK Money Bloggers. And that ranges from complete beginners to really um, professional people who've been doing it for years and make a living out of it. And I've learned so much from being part of that and discovering all these blogs and podcasts and YouTube channels that I never would have seen before. And all that information just helps you and can, yeah, develop your knowledge, your finances, and hopefully your work as well. It's like tapping into a secret community, isn't it? Although it don't want to be secret, we want to know about it, but it feels like a bit like you're getting in, the, in this little gang of your own kind of thing. And I know or they're the same thing. So you kind of uncover people you've not really heard about too much, but they're passionate about the topic. And it's amazing what you can learn by just being around these people, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think the energy and the enthusiasm really spurs you on. You want to make positive change. Like sometimes you read a post, you're like, that was so good. And then you're like, oh, wish I'd written that. And then <laughs> <laughs> I bet, yeah. And so you did mention that it wasn't necessarily your first kind of uh, focus to study or to focus on financial education as part of being a financial journalist. How did that come about then? Why was the, was the move from that? What was the instigator? I think it sort of probably comes from the fact that I was always interested in teaching and other things. I've always wanted to help people and make a positive difference in the world, or I guess most people do, but <laughs> and that's always been something I've wanted to do. And the more I was writing about finance, the more I realised there's just simply not enough financial education in this country and people don't know what they're doing you get sort of get hear snippets of conversation to your friends or peers people asking things and it's a real worry and I felt if I could do you know even my little bit to improve that even for just one or two people that would be a worthwhile thing to be doing definitely there was certainly a gap there I'm, I'm sure it's about more in a, in a moment or two anyway but so if you don't mind me asking, Katie, from your experience, obviously writing the blog and being around the subject area of financial education um, at LIBF, we focus really on young people, particularly secondary school and college students is kind of our main focus in, in the in the part that I work for anyway. Would you be able to highlight maybe some of the key financial issues you think that maybe impacts on young people? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the big ones um, comes in sort of in, around student loans. I think there's an awful lot of or lack of information about what these loans are. And it really worries me that it sort of puts people off going to university and getting sort of a higher education, potentially increasing their job prospects for their whole lives. Because obviously the sum feels really, really big, but at the same time, it's not sort of debt in the sense that you haven't put nine grand on your credit cards. So (laughs) I think that sort of communication about student loans and how they work and the idea that the payments are meant to be affordable, although there's questions about that if they do lower the threshold, like they're claiming they 
are going to, that's going to be an issue. So we will campaign against that if we can. <laughs> but I think, yeah, definitely some more education about student loans would be good. I think also there's a real worry at the moment about sort of generational wealth inequality. Um, and young people really do have it hard now because the cost of living is so much higher than it ever was, but wages aren't increasing at the same rate and like housing costs are through the roof, whether you're buying or renting, whatever, it's really, really difficult. And you couple that with tax increases like the national insurance hike and the freezing of the income tax threshold. And it's a real worry for young people because often you are on younger salary, lower salaries even, you might be working part-time in hospitality or retail to fund your way through college or university. And these increases are going to affect young people the most. I think understanding that and working out what you can do to maximise your money and make it go as far as possible is probably the best thing young people can be doing at the moment, as well as avoiding Klarna and buy now, pay, pay later. It's kind of like that one does, yeah. Well, there's, there's two big topics I'm thinking of, and let's do one at a time. What about social media? How do you see that with regards to impacting on, you know, issues that may be created for young people in a positive or a negative way, I guess? Yeah, I think as you just hinted there, there are both positives and negatives to social media. In terms of the negatives, we'll end on a positive, um, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there particularly in regards to investing in crypto and that sort of thing in fact it's only this morning i saw a tiktok video of a guy essentially sitting there throwing pens into a cup and if they went into a cup he would buy the stock he just said and i think it's really important and um, the more responsible people on social media are coming out with strong messages about you know, investing is not a game. Your finances are not something to gamble with strong information pointing to resources, whether it's Citizen Advice Bureau or organisations like yourself or, you know, just regulated firms, essentially, to get the information out there because social media has been seen to be a huge force for good. It's a great source of income for a lot of people as well. Like, influencers have never been more powerful than they are today but it's understanding what your an influencer is saying and you know taking up a pinch of salt remembering that they are probably being paid to say a lot of what is coming across um a really good example is sort of with black friday sales suddenly people are posting links everywhere and you forget that they're probably on affiliate links so those influencers getting paid for you clicking on that link they may not have your best interest at heart whatever they say and it's quite difficult to see because they sort of present themselves as being really authentic and like they're your friend but at the end of the day it's a business to them and you're a potential customer so being wary of that I think it's an interesting point you make about being the friend and I think this is where one of the danger comes from from the influencers is the fact that I think some people see them as friends don't they like you know these people because like you spend a lot of time watching them doing their things and actually what they don't know is they don't know you and your individual circumstances so whatever the advice may be whether it's good bad or indifferent it may or may not be right for you and without knowing your personal circumstances it's really hard to give any advice to somebody or any guidance so i think that taking the pinch of salt is definitely something that we need to encourage and even if it's a qualified person if they don't have them they wouldn't give you advice unless they spend some time finding out about your individual circumstances first so you've got to be wary right before you kind of 
jump on any kind of advice or guidance yeah i think it's really important that people know that and that actually the regulators only allow people to give official advice if it's in a one-to-one meeting and it's or you know two-to-one or whatever it is but is it personalized and they're a regulated person someone on social media can you know give general topics like this is what an ISA is or these are pros and cons of credit cards but they can't tell you what you should do because they as you said yeah they don't know you they don't know your situation and yeah maybe getting a credit card works for them but they don't know that you've got 10k in debt in the bank or something so yeah and Casey what's about tech then that's the other one I was going to mention so social media is one part of that but linked to I guess is just tech um, and how that pl- plays plays an impact on young people and, and their money I grew up in I'm a bit old I grew up in a world where it was cash and you kind of saw what you had but now you don't see money at all and some of the young people we speak to now don't really don't see money at all and it's all done through apps and virtual um, and that has its own impact I guess yeah and I think that can be a real opportunity because I mean on your phone you can see your bank account details you can see how much money you have you can see how much is in your saving accounts I mean a lot of accounts now will put it automatically put money into accounts for you if you sort of set it up correctly and say this is what you want to happen so in a way while you're not seeing physical money you can have more oversight of your finances than you ever did before for a lot less effort I think the problem is it's like when your tech goes wrong like if you suddenly have to change phone numbers or something and then suddenly you're locked out of all your accounts and such I think it's important to always have backups and know where people are remember your passwords and it's a really boring thing to do but <laughs> make sure you've got all your passwords it's all secure and you're protecting yourself from scams so no you particularly during the pandemic scams just went through the roof and there are so so many people with unfortunately less less than ideal intentions there trying to get your money or get tricked you into doing something you don't want so with tech yeah again be responsible (laughs) from writing your blogs and being around obviously the subject matter for a while now what would you say were things that young people could do to kind of help support themselves with regards to their financial knowledge i think the first thing to do is to open yourself up to talking about money and talking about finances because i think it's sort of been ingrained in us for so long that it's rude to talk about money and yeah it's probably not great to just go up to someone you barely know and say how much do you earn but it's okay to (laughs) it's okay to you know have conversations with your friends about savings accounts or you know discussing budgets and things because actually if these are people you're hanging out with regularly and you're feeling oh we're going out for dinner again and I don't really want to afford that you know if you're being open to the conversation and actually often someone else is thinking exactly the same thing because it's unlikely your skin and all your friends are rolling in it that's you know most of us you know are struggling well you know at least on a budget because life's expensive another good thing I'd say is to you know get reading or listening or watching depending on what your chosen method of information is and if you like reading obviously there's loads of news articles and blogs and information out there but again as I've said earlier take it with a pinch of salt and check the sources make sure they're reputable make sure they're not sort of trying to sell you something or encouraging you to do something that isn't right and the same goes if it's a podcast or a YouTube channel use it for your own information but then back it up with 
research afterwards. What's your view, generally speaking, and maybe a bit unfair to ask, I don't know how close you are to it, but with regards to financial education, young people in the country, not just for the school system, but more broadly speaking, do you think students and young people get enough financial education before they get in the big wide world? Is there enough out there for them to feel comfortable and confident when they have to make key decisions or could we be doing more? Um, I think there's almost certainly not enough information or education out there. I think you can always be doing more, but it's clear there's obviously an awful lot of people doing some really good work and reaching young people like yourselves, like some bloggers and some um, sort of journalists and some financial professionals as well are trying to get more information out there. But I don't think it's by any means on a big enough scale yet. And I think a lot of people are falling through the cracks on it a bit because they're not picking up the information and they're paying the price later in life because they don't understand you know what buy now pay later is or they don't understand how you get a mortgage or how a credit card differs to a debit card and it's that's not you know being stupid that's something you wouldn't know unless someone explained it to you and what are some of the issues then if, if these young people aren't getting the education they need maybe before they get into the big wide world how does that pan out in practice and what you've seen and read about and written about yourself maybe what are the consequences of that uh, so, I mean, obviously, one of the biggest consequences is people find themselves in debt, which is a problem, particularly if you get into debt at a young age, you can spend an awful lot of time sort of playing catch up and trying to clear that debt. And it impacts you for a long period of time, which is a real shame. And it's something that can be avoided. So I think debt is one of the biggest issues. And, you know, that's only going to increase as I now pay later becomes more prominent and people sort of get used to not paying for things straight away or necessarily checking if they have the money for something before they pay. I think other issues that come into it are things like in terms of housing and people just, you know, not understanding how much rent might cost in comparison to a mortgage and how much you need to save to be able to get a mortgage. And it's, I mean, it's, on an individual basis, it's very complicated, but the basics are very straightforward. And if people were sort of understanding what they needed to do, perhaps home ownership wouldn't feel quite as unattainable as it does because you could start preparing from a younger age. The problem is if you suddenly come in at, say, in your mid-20s, having not saved or not understood anything about finances and want to buy a house before you're 30, that's going to be very difficult now because... I mean, the average house prices in the UK is now over a quarter of a million pounds. So even saving 10% of that and hoping you have a high paying job to get a mortgage is going to be tricky. Have you seen anything in the stuff you've written about or read about with regards to the link between maybe financial issues and well-being? Is that something that creeps up? Because we hear about it a lot and, and we talk about it in the work we do and some of the courses and qualifications that we run. But have you heard about that? Is that something you, you, you recognise as a correlation? Yeah, definitely. I think obviously it's sort of been widely documented the impact sort of debt has on mental health and how difficult that can be for people. But I think in general, financial anxiety and stresses are really, really prevalent. Um, and a lot of it comes from this sort of idea that we just bury our heads under sand, we don't talk about things, we ignore our finances and just sort of hope we're going to get by to payday and then have a happy week and then start, start the process overall again the next month. And I think, yeah, there's an undeniable impact that your finances will have on your well-being or your mental health. And 
the first thing to do is recognize it and acknowledge your situation in your finances and whether that's barely make it to payday or you've got loads of debt or you know you're okay but you're not able to save as much as you want and you want to move house because you know you're not in a big enough place or it's not working for you or you're pregnant and you're having a baby and you need enough bedroom or whatever it is acknowledging your situation means that then you can move forward and start making a plan if you stick your head understand and panic which I know is much easier said than done sorry it's what I mean there <laughs> yeah definitely easier said than done to sort of take control and take that first step but it if you can it's so important thinking ahead now have you got any thoughts around how things may be evolving in the next five to ten years you know what changes that may be good bad or indifferent but just how the world of financial education or just finance may may evolve over the next five to ten years well I think it's very easy to be pessimistic about these things and sort of say we can see inflation coming cost of living is only going to keep rising housing costs aren't coming down and debt's just going to increase and I think that there are some real issues there but I think on a positive note what we've seen sort of in the past 18 months or so is the conversations about finances are starting to happen young people are interested in investing and finances and yes maybe they're not all going about it in the right way at the moment maybe they're not all being as responsible as you would hope but I mean they're young people like they make mistakes they try things out and at least they're talking about it they're sharing their experiences on social media so in a way I think it's also possible to be very positive about financial issues for young people in the next few years because they're putting themselves out there they're trying like side hustles have never been more popular there you know people are working hard they're trying to take control they're, they're sort of sick of waiting for things to happen and they're going for it themselves and as long as we can sort of make sure the message coming across is responsible and encouraging people to you know have their emergency savings before you go and start buying random stocks or <laughs> whatever it is you're doing that you know that there are opportunities out there and yeah with the right support and financial education I think the future could be very bright. Spending time with young people and kind of talking to them about what it's like to be maybe late teens early 20s now there's definitely things have changed I think over the last maybe five to ten years multi-income streams and doing different jobs and maybe not having a fixed career path and not really knowing what you want to do but just doing what's kind of there is part of I think maybe a slightly more modern young person's experience certainly than it was when I was younger where you kind of had to focus on something and kind of pursue that do you see that as well is that something that you're, you're, you're aware of and is that again is that something that would impact on their finances potentially yeah I think so I think that's sort of two schools of thoughts because at the same time a lot of people are really set on you know building up their career and getting starting blocks whereas others are very open to whether it's influencer culture or you know working a little bit here and there and working on their passion projects and I think it's great that people are trying to find something that they really enjoy and make it work for them and from sort of looking forward in 10 to 15 years if people are used to that that can only be good for keeping women in the workforce after children, for example, because they're used to making work work for them. So why, why would it be any different then? So there's a lot of opportunities there. I think the issue there is sort of the financial security of kind of relying on yourself a bit, not having a backing, 
a lot a lot of people aren't paying money into a pension and I know it's not cool in like your sort of late teens early 20s to be thinking about retirement but power of compound interest cannot be underestimated and the sooner you start paying in the better really even if it's only a little bit a month that's going to help and I think those sort of benefits you don't get when you're working yourself and you might not think about early on or not think about it until it's too late or it's a lot later than you thought and then you have to keep working a lot longer than you wanted to and I can relate to that <laughs> <laughs> okay my final couple of questions that's okay um Casey if you're okay for time when I speak to students about finance once doing our qualifications and they might be new to the course um you sometimes get some hesitancy from some of the students and I think one of the reasons is because they think it's going to be maths it's going to be a bit boring it's going to be lots of numbers um now you're a journalist so you're obviously you're very good with your words my personal view is that I think finance is much more about language than it is about numbers. In fact, the maths is often, uh, you know, at an entry level, and certainly just as a consumer level, is relatively basic in percentages and whatever else. You don't need to be a mathematician to kind of be able to kind of assess some products and make some relatively half sensible investment decisions. Um, it's much more about understanding the words and terminology, I think, that can be the barrier. It, again, be honest with me, is that something you would say is the same from your experience or do you see it differently? Is it more of a maths numbers thing than it is language? Well, yeah, coming from someone who cried in their maths GCSE, I can definitely say <laughs> you don't need to do And actually, that is one of the real issues in the finance world. People are put off by the maths, but actually, the main issue is the jargon the industry use, because a lot of it's incredibly simple. The concepts, like obviously the very basic concepts, there are complicated aspects to it, but if you put it in simple language, people can understand it and relate to it in a way that they're being put off doing because the industry uses fancy language that you know people aren't going to understand and they're not going to want to understand because it's not going to feel they're going to immediately see that and think it's not for them okay my final question that's okay which we asked all our guests that come on if there was one thing you could change with regards to the world of financial education or just finance more broadly what might that be um one thing i could change i think it would be that there's just far more of it people are I think people could hopefully be more open with their own experiences and, you know, start conversations that way. And then that will feed into education. But in general, the more people talk about money, the better, because we, we all learn from each other. We had Talk Money Week a couple of weeks back, and that's what that's all about, banging a drum to get more people just to open up about it. Or, and it's so true, you know, if we're making more of a conversation and people learn from those conversations and, and I think there's a bit of a, you know, you don't want to be the one in the room that doesn't understand about the subject of money. So you don't say anything just in case you are. I think actually it's okay. Just talk and you'll learn some stuff. So, so true. Um, it's like what you're always told at school, that if you're thinking of a question, there's almost certainly someone else is thinking of it too. So it's better to say 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. That's been awesome, Katie. Thank you so much. We're talking about learning more and finding out more and that kind of stuff and encourage people to reach out and see different things. Um, how could they find out more about the blogs that you've written and the work that you're doing? Is there a place to go to or a way they can reach you personally maybe through twitter or something else or for your social media channels or for your website do you mind sharing that information yeah of course so if you want to find me on twitter or instagram my handle is at katie two zero percent and or simply if you google the 20 percent, you'll find my blog and there's a contact form on there as well so you should be able to get hold of me or find out what i've been doing on either of those channels 
Awesome. Perfect. We'll put all those um, links in the show notes as well so people can find you. Hey, thank you so much for your time. I know like everyone, you're busy, you've got loads of things going on, but it's so nice to have different voices talking about different things. I think we always have some common ground on these conversations, which is nice as well for us, but really appreciate you sharing you know, your experience and your journey and stuff. And um, maybe if you don't mind, if you come across another key topic in the future, come back on again and share it with us. Would that be okay? Yeah, no, definitely. If you'll have me again, I'd love to come back. Brilliant. Thanks, Katie. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please remember to leave a review and share. To find out more about the work we do at LIBF and our French education qualifications, please contact us or visit our website. All details can be found in this episode's show notes.